All right, so this week, we are learning to count our many blessings. But see, last week, we learned that God does not want us to live as paupers, does he? In fact, Psalm 50 tells us that God owns a, a cattle, cattle on a thousand hills, and he is willing and waiting for us to just Ask him for those many blessings. And the blessings we learned about were, of course, grace and peace, very, very important. And this week, we're going to learn about even more blessings in our treasure chest. And before we get into God's word, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to be able to look at this treasure that you have presented to us, not earthly treasures, but heavenly treasures, those things which affect our lives and give us quality of life. And it's all because of you, Lord. And so as we go through this amazing scripture, would you bless this time? Would you speak through me and allow the the ones listening to open their ears to truly hear what you want them to learn. And so we love you. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 8. We're going to start with verse 4, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation this week. It says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now, he uses the word chose us. Now, the, some synonyms would be uh, he, he wanted us to be, he wished us to be, he wants us and desires us, prefers us. Uh, most commentators believe that God's purpose in using the word choose is because up until that point, uh, the Jewish people felt that they were God's chosen people. They were the only chosen people. But now we have the Apostle Paul, who was a Jew, telling Gentiles, mainly in Ephesus, that we also are chosen people. Now, the Jewish people, they kind of had it wrong. They thought that they were chosen by God because they were special. And yes, they were special, but that's not the reason why God chose them. He says, I want you, this this people that he called the Jewish people, to be like a beacon for the rest of the world. They were supposed to uh, be closest to God and draw others to God. And they kind of missed it. They kind of thought, well, aren't we great, you know, ha ha, you know, because we're, we've been chosen by God. But now the Apostle Paul is telling us we are are chosen by God. So before God made the world, he chose us to be in Jesus Christ so that we can be holy and blameless. However, from the very beginning, we see that Adam and Eve, they kind of blew it, didn't they? So they weren't really holy and blameless. And what's interesting is that, and what I really never grasped before is that God, before God even made the earth, he was thinking about me. He was thinking about you. You were in his heart and in his mind. You were like, uh, you know, when you have a project and you visualize, well, I want... uh, this project to look like this. Let's say you're a seamstress. I love to sew. And so I will have like a vision of what I want it to be like. And then I go about creating that. Well, you were in God's heart and he was going, I want to make Pat to look 
just like this. I want B. Ruth to look just like this. <clears throat> and it's pretty amazing when you think about it. But he knew how and when he was going to make us because he knew everything, of course. Because he lives outside of space and time. Kind of sounds like a sci-fi movie, but he really does. And Second Peter 3.8 tells us, with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day, right? And so it says here that God loved us and chose us to be holy because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And we all know what that is, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We all know that. But think about that for a moment. That's an amazing thing that from the very beginning he knew that we were going to be sinful and that he would have to die for us. So let's break this down a little bit of what we know so far. It says, before everything in the earth was made, God loved us. He chose us to live with him in heaven. But then sin entered the world and we needed a savior. So who is the chosen being spoken of here? I would say we all are. Every last human created is what the chosen are. There's an interesting passage in Exodus. Now, to set the scene, Moses has been up on the, the mountain. He's been uh, hanging out with God. God gives him the Ten Commandments. Moses comes down, and what is happening? The children of Israel have melted down their jewelry, and they have created a gold calf. And so Moses, I can imagine, he just kind of threw his hands up in the air, turned around, and walked back up the mountain. Okay, so this is what he does. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, what a terrible sin these people have committed. They have made gods of gold for themselves. But now, if you will only forgive their sin, but if not erase my name from the record you have written. Interesting. From what? But the Lord replied to Moses, no, I will re erase the name of everyone who has sinned against me. What does that mean? Isn't that fascinating? Erase my name from the record. Well, what record is he talking about? Well, I believe the Bible gives us a few answers, and it's found in the book of Revelation. Revelation 3, 5, it says, he who overcomes, he's talking about sin, talking about receiving Christ, shall be clothed in white garments. That's what we have been given. When, when we receive Christ, we have been clothed in white garments. We have been white, clean, white as snow. He says, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So it appears as though we're talking about the Lamb's book of life. So from the beginning, all of our names are written in the book. One commentator says that when a person believes in Jesus, their name, which was written in erasable pencil, is now copied over with the permanent ink of the blood of the Lamb. Isn't that amazing to think of? So, for those whose names are not permanent or have rejected Jesus Christ, they will be blotted out. That's a fascinating thing. So what is our conclusion? Well, of course, God wants everyone to be saved. And he gives everyone a chance to receive or reject Jesus Christ. So whether or not our name is blotted out from the Lamb's Book of Life will depend on what we do with Jesus.
So our verse says that God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So how do we do that? Through what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That's what we're talking about. And because of that, God sees us without fault. He sees us perfect. Now, verse 5. God decided in in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. As some of you probably know, my son and his wife are going through the process of adopting a child from Korea. And this has been a really long, drawn-out process. But after they were approved by uh, the, the companies here handling the adoption and those in Korea, okay, we will accept this American couple to be Uh, the parent of one of our children. And so from that point on, they were given these uh, dossiers, so to speak, of different kids up for adoption. And they went through this list and said, I think this is is the one we want. They prayed hard about it. And then they said, you know what? We're going to accept him. We're going to adopt this young man. Well, he's really young. He's like a year and a half now. But when this started, he was just born. He was only like a month or two when this whole thing started. And so his name is Emerson, and they decided they're going to adopt him into their family. And I love what Pastor Chuck used to say about adoption, being adopted into God's family. It's like when you adopt a child, those of you who adopted children know that this child has all the rights and benefits of being a blood relative in your family, don't they? According to the law, they have now become your legal child. Nothing can change that. You can't give them back. (laughs) Same thing, right? Same thing with God. He says, well, he doesn't want to give us back. We are now adopted into his family. And God decided in advance Other versions say that we were predestined. See, I think we were all destined to become children of God, but some of us refused that. So even though all of us have been offered this gift of grace and redemption, we must receive it. So from the very beginning, God wanted to have a relationship with us as a parent and a child. And we are his creation, and he longs to have a relationship with us. And that is why he sent his son to die for us. Now, verse 6 goes on to say, So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. So who belongs? All of us who have received Jesus Christ as our Savior. And because of that, God is pouring out his grace on that, on us, excuse me. I love that he's saying poured out. Now, my son lives in Palm Desert, and as you know, it gets pretty warm there during July, August, sometimes September. And you know what feels really good is to pour a cool glass of water on top of your head, right? It's like, whoo, that feels so good just to cool off. That's how I kind of envision that grace being poured out on top of me. It starts at the top and it just cleanses me and cools me off all the way down. Then he goes on to say, he is so rich 
in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. So now we're looking at even more treasure. And as we, we did study grace last week, so now we're going to focus a little bit on the kindness part among others. But what is kindness? Friendly, generous, considerate, affectionate, gentle, tender. And the list went on and on and on. That is God's kindness towards us. That's how he thinks of you. And it's because of his kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom. Freedom from what? Obviously, we needed freedom from sin. John 8, 34 through 36 says, Jesus replied, I'll tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. It's kind of like that adoption process, isn't it? So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. So what is a slave? Well, according, I mean, throughout uh, human history, we have enslaved people. So people can enslave others, but what are some other things that we, that can uh, uh, make us a slave? Some would say addictions, whether it's alcohol, drugs, other things that you can think of. See, any kind of sin can make us a slave to that sin. Romans 6, 6 through 7 goes on to say, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Hallelujah for that. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Hallelujah to that. Romans 6, 16 goes on to say, don't you realize that you Become the slave of whatever you choose to obey. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Wow, so what's our conclusion here? It was God's kindness and grace that purchased us from a life of sin and gave us freedom. He bought us with the blood of Jesus Christ. I read a story of a little boy who built a sailboat. And he built it from, uh, he built the sail and he fixed it up, he roped it, he painted it, he did everything. And he took it out to a lake, pushed it into the lake, hoping it would sail. And sure enough, a wisp of a wind came and filled that little sail and it billowed and it went ripping along the waves. And suddenly, before the boy knew it, it began to go out into the middle of the lake and he tried to grab it but he couldn't and he lost it as he watched it just sail away and he went home crying and his mom said what happened didn't it work he says yeah it worked too well it just disappeared and so sometime later the little boy was in their little town and there was a thrift store and he walked by it, and there in the window, he saw his little boat, and he ran in there, and he says, hey, that's my boat, and the shop owner says, hey, wait a minute, I purchased that boat, that boat's mine, he goes, but it is mine, see, here's my initials on it, and everything, and the, 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 the shop owner said, hey, I had to pay someone for this boat, 
So if you want it back, you're going to have to purchase it again. Well, the little boy didn't have any money, so he worked hard. And he did chores, and he mowed lawns, and he did all sorts of things in order to, to earn enough money to purchase that little boat back. And he was so excited. And finally, one day, he had enough money. And as he left the store, holding that boat close to him, he was heard saying, you're my boat. You're twice my boat. First, you're my boat because I made you. And second, because my boat, because I had to buy you back. You see, and that's exactly what Jesus did for us, didn't he? He created us. We wander off with every wind right? We follow everything, and then Jesus had to purchase us back because he loves us, and he chose us. He created us, didn't he? Then verse 8 goes on to say, he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Now, I love that it's that showered. Okay, first we were poured out, and now we get this nice, cool shower. Um, Jeff and I used to go backpacking a lot, and I tell you, the first thing you wanted to do when you came back from being a week two weeks in the Sierras backpacking, you know, you don't want to really jump in a lake because they're like just a degree above freezing. And even though Jeff would do it, it's like, you know what, I'll wait and I'll take a shower when we get back, you know. So we were pretty stinky by the time we got done with our vacation. And, um, <laughs> but I loved it, don't get me wrong. But, oh, it felt so good to have a shower. It's like whenever you're really, really dirty, doesn't that feel good to have a shower? But now he is showering his kindness on us along with wisdom and understanding. So, Proverbs is packed full of wisdom telling us how to be wise. But in chapter th three, I think it is like the mother load. So Proverbs chapter 3.13, it says, joyful is the person, whoops, there we go. Joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. So why joyful? Well, of course, because it's God's wisdom, and God's wisdom causes us to think and understand things, right? So God's wisdom keeps us calm. I know it does for me. There are times when I'm trying to do it on my own and not using God's wisdom, what happens? Well, we make mistakes, don't we? You know, open mouth, insert foot, you know, that kind of thing. And that brings us joy, not shame. Proverbs 3.14 says, For wisdom is more profitable than silver, and her wages are better than gold. Now, wages is something we work for, right? Now, the benefits of wisdom is better than any of earth's treasures. Amen? Proverbs 3.15, Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare to her. Again, Nothing in this world can compare to having godly wisdom and understanding. Proverbs 3.16, she offers you long life in her right hand and riches and honor in her left. So uh, it's, it's known that the right hand, if you sit on the right hand of God, that means you're more important. So with that context, it's saying long life is in the right hand 
and riches and honor in their left. So which one is the more important? The long life. So things will go better for you. And on a practical sense, when you're not stressed out, when you're using God's wisdom, hey, your blood pressure is lower, right? You're, you're not causing yourself problems. And then riches and honor is another dis- way to say that God will bless you, not only with perhaps worldly riches, which sometimes he does, but more importantly, he blesses you with heavenly riches, those treasures that we've been talking about. Proverbs 3.17, she will guide you down delightful paths. Don't you love that? All her ways are satisfying. So wisdom keeps us on the right path, the path that God wants us to be on and intends for us to be on. And those paths will be both good and never leave us wanting. Proverbs 3.18, wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. So what do we know about trees? Well, we know their roots go very deep. I kind of think of the big oak tree that used to be in the corner of my yard when we lived in the San Bernardino Mountains. Huge tree. And I never minded that my boys would climb this tree. Why is that? I knew it wasn't going to fall down if they climbed up. You know how boys are. It's just they want to see exactly how high they can get, right? And sometimes I say, you don't want to go up there. That limb isn't big enough for you. That tree is not big enough for you. But this oak tree, they could hang out in that tree all day long, and I didn't mind because it was so strong. And they would hang on to it. That's what wisdom is like. It can withstand storms. It can withstand harsh environments. And even though that tree would lose its leaves every year, it was still very strong. It would get sometimes laden with so much snow, you wonder how it's staying up. But it would because it was strong. It was rooted. And that's what godly wisdom is. So how do we get this wisdom? that we all need so desperately. Well, James has a lot to say about it. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. In other words, he won't mock you, say, what do you want wisdom for? He's saying, please, please ask, please. But when you ask him, it says, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. So let's break this down a little bit. If we need wisdom, and we all need wisdom, amen, all we have to do is ask. But there is a stipulation. Make sure that your faith is in God alone. Why is that? So many people will seek God's wisdom after they've tried everything else. You know, what do they do? They go to their best friends. They go to the internet. They go to uh, uh, professional help. Not to say that those aren't good or, you know, can be good. Who do we go to first? Who should we go to? God, because he is wise. 
Then comes the warning. If you look for wisdom in these other places, don't expect God to give you his wisdom because he's having to compete with other people in your lives. God doesn't do that. He will just sit back and go, okay, are you done now? I I know he's done that to me. Now that you've gone all these different routes, are you ready to hear my wisdom? And we've kind of done that with our own kids sometimes, don't we? But you see, sometimes we can't hear God. That's why he's not speaking to us during these times. If we are seeking wisdom from all these other places, we're not hearing God's still small voice, which is always there. He's saying, do you want to hear what I have to say? And you're going, oh, well, you know what? This, this really is a great article, God, you know? And you know what? Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool, but you know what? I want to read what this says first. God doesn't do that. He goes, no, I want your full attention. Also, worldly wisdom can cause instability. Now, we all know that song, you know, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. The foolish man builds his house upon the sand. What happens? The one that built it on the rock, which is Jesus, which is godly wisdom. When the storms come, his house stood. But the foolish man built his house upon the sand, which was nothing. And when the storm came, it washed away. That's, they're talking about wisdom here, depending on God versus depending on the world. So ask God for wisdom and don't look to the world and God will give it to you liberally. So how do we apply this to our lives? James 1.22 tells us to be not only hearers of the word, but doers also. You see, so many times I hear ladies say that they hear and they read what's in the Bible. You know, they've gone to the Bible studies, but they just can't seem to take that step to actually do it. Why is that? Well, let's see what the word of God says. James 1, through 25. But just don't listen to God's word. You must do what it says. He makes it sound so easy, doesn't he? (laughs) Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away and forget what you look like. I find this fascinating, okay? How many of us, you know, it's like you, you wake up in the morning, if you're like me, I look at myself in the mirror and go, oh, okay, I need coffee. I, you know, I, I, I don't want to look at that. But then there are times when you go, oh, yeah, I look good. You know, it's like, okay, the makeup's on, perfect. You know, you're wearing the right colors and everything. You see, sometimes we forget what we look like. And when God sees us, he sees uh, a sin nature that's in need of redemption. But we forget that, don't we? We forget that we have a sin that is always in us trying to break out. And so we need godly wisdom. We need to truly realize how desperately we need God. So he says, you see yourself, walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and what is that? The story of redemption, Jesus died for your sins. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So it all comes down to believing God at his word. 
He makes great and wonderful promises, but many times we want to do things our way, don't we? I am famous for that. You know, it's all right, God, I got this one. You know, how many times do we tell ourselves? I've done this a million times, and I love the fact that God is reminding me constantly that I need him for everything, even if I've done it a thousand times. See, we can deceive ourselves in thinking that we don't need God, that we've got this. But we need to look inside ourselves and know that we truly do need him. You see, receiving God's treasures, it takes practice, doesn't it? You have to be intentional in it. It takes work. It takes diligence. It takes true commitment. And if you don't truly want it, then God will withhold that from you. Just like it said in James, if you ask for wisdom, but you're not willing to trust God for it, then he's going to go, okay, I don't think you want it bad enough. You have to truly desire these things. There was a survey done in 1981 about in whom you put your trust in. And I found this really fascinating. Of course, we can apply this to today. But you remember Walter Cronkite? You know, he was an old uh, newscaster. Everybody trusted him. You know, I remember watching him as a child. And uh, it, it was always whatever Walter Cronkite said on, I don't even know what station he was on. But, you know, if he said it, it was true. Okay, responses were Walter Cronkite, 40% of the people trusted him. Pope John Paul, 26%. Billy Graham, 6%. God, 3%. And I'm going, oh my goodness. I think there's a problem there because I think that is maybe even worse today because, you know, knowledge has increased and we're putting our trust in everything but God right now. So, kindness, grace, wisdom, understanding, these are all treasures that God wants to give us. But why does God offer these treasures to us? Well, other than the fact that he loves us immensely and he wants us to succeed, he wants us to have a joy-filled life. He wants us to have his wisdom when making decisions. He wants us to have understanding in situations when it's needed. And throughout all of that, he wants us to be kind as he is kind and loving. That is the way God wants us to use these gifts, to show others his love. But the true reason God wants us to take advantage of all these blessings is found in James 1, 16 through 17. And it says, don't be misled, my brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possessions. Wow, doesn't that sound wonderful? So do you think of yourself as God's prized possession? You should because you are, but also all those gifts that God wants to give us are perfect and good, and they're there to enrich our lives. But because we are God's prized possession, he is always looking after us. I found, I love stories, and during the course of earning her master's degree, 
a, a woman found it necessary to commute several times a week from Victory, Vermont, to the State University in Burlington, a good hundred miles away. Coming home late at night, she would see an old man sitting by the side of her road. He was always there in sub-zero temperatures and stormy weather, no matter how late she returned. He made no acknowledgement of her passing. The snow settled on his cap and shoulders as if he were merely another gnarled old tree. She often wondered what brought him to that same spot every evening. Perhaps it was a stubborn habit, private grief, or mental disorder. And finally, she asked a neighbor of hers, Have you ever seen an old man who sits by the road late at night? Oh, yes, said the neighbor, many times. Well, is he a little touched upstairs? Does he ever go home? The neighbor laughed and said, he's no more touched than you or me, and he goes home right after you do. You see, he doesn't like the idea of you driving by yourself out late, all alone on these back roads, so every night he walks out to wait for you. When he sees your taillights disappear around the bend, he knows you're okay, and he goes home to bed. You see, that's the kind of love that God has for us. He's always looking after us. No matter the cost, he will always be there to care for us, to make sure we're okay. And when he showers us with kindness or pours out his grace upon us, you know, don't retreat, don't resist. He only wants what's best for you. And we need to count those many blessings. I mean, we're loved, adopted, chosen, We've been given grace, kindness, freedom, wisdom, understanding. I mean, those are treasures indeed. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing scripture you have given us. And I would ask that each one of these ladies truly realizes how precious they are to you. That even before the foundation of the earth, you knew her. And that you want her to grasp how much you love her, and that you only want what's good for her. And so thank you, Lord, for giving us these amazing scriptures. Help us to meditate upon them. No matter what we're going through, help us to look to these and know just how precious we are to you. So we love you, Lord. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.